You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast and wherever you are in the world from Oslo to Ottawa to Ouagadougou, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe and I'm the Lonely Diplomat. I'm also really relieved that I pronounced Ouagadougou first take. And while proud of my achievement, I also reconnect diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to themselves and to the world around them through my website, thelonelydiplomat.com. On that site, you can find my blog, this podcast, details of my services, which are designed to help diplomats and those living diplomatic, the diplomatic life to reconnect to themselves and the world around them. I also have written a book, The Lonely Diplomat, Reconnecting with Yourself and the World Around You. Have you noticed a theme? And you can purchase my book on Amazon.com. And my book comes in both paperback and an ebook form. Connection is the antidote to loneliness. So why not subscribe and stay connected to me and my work? There's a link in the description attached to this episode. And this episode is episode 22, and we're going to be talking today about bullying, harassment, and discrimination in diplomacy. This is a pretty hefty topic, listener. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to approach it in a way that's like light and airy and, you know, taking things in a very light and airy way. I'm not going to do that. And... I want us to start this by being real with you, listener, because if you're like me, listener, you read blogs and books and listen to podcasts on a whole range of issues. And you just, I can tell myself stories of like, wow, they just really like nailed it, you know, on that podcast, just knew exactly what to say and how to say it and, and it, it just seemed so effortless. I'm going to share with you, listener, that my starting this topic through writing the blog post, The Lonely Diplomat, on bullying, harassment, and discrimination in diplomacy. The blog post, uh, which I uh, published on my website on the 18th of April 2020, it was really hard. It was really hard. I just really did not know where to start. I did not know the right tone, um, I guess. Um, and, and there's a clue in my language right there, listener, the right tone. I wanted to get it right. And I found myself sort of, if 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 I did write on, on note paper, there would have been scraps of, of like crunkled, crumpled crunked up what what do you do with paper but there would have been piles of scrunched up paper that's the word i was looking for scrunched up paper all around me as i you know would would write a paragraph and then it's like no and tear out the the leaf from the from the notebook and then start again and and Honestly, I, I wrote maybe 1,800 words in a few hours um, and it just didn't have, it didn't sit comfortably with me. So I went for a walk, went to clear my head and I recognized that I was concerned 
about getting it right, more concerned about getting it right than I was about the topic and simply starting the conversation, simply raising the issue of bullying, harassment and discrimination in diplomacy and asking the question, do we, listener, in diplomacy have a problem with bullying, harassment and discrimination? And I also thought, oh God, there's so much going on in the world right now. Is now really the right time. And I found myself having lots of conversations last week, listener, where where people who I coach were all saying that they'd just been so busy and 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 um, focused on getting stuff done, but you know, the focusing on the urgent was crowding out the important and how important the important things are, but you know, there's just always, always something urgent coming up. In this case, right now, we're here in New Zealand, uh, at least, and in many places, likely where you are in the world, listener, various stages of quarantine, lockdown, social isolation, uh, and and as, as the world responds to the COVID-19 pandemic. The thought occurred to me while I was having these conversations, and bear with me, listener, we'll get to the get to the meat uh, of this episode shortly, but I wanted to share this with you. The thought occurred to me, when is, when is the right time to have these difficult conversations? When is the right time to have any kind of difficult, difficult and uncomfortable conversation? Please tell me when is the right time to talk about bullying, harassment and discrimination in diplomacy? Because listener, you know, as well as I know, that in diplomacy, there is never a quiet time. And if there is a quiet time, it's not for long. So in the interests of starting imperfectly as it might be, simply starting the conversation is what I want to do. Also, one of the things that I hold myself to account every day is how I live my life and whether I live my life, whether I approach what's going on in my life, respond to what's going on within me and around me according to my values. Now, I've spoken about my values previously in, in, in other episodes, but I want to go back over them very quickly um, because on this walk, this magical walk, this magical clearing of my head um, as I struggled to get this blog post started, um, I thought about how I can approach this in the way that I know is right for me. And that is to approach it according to my values of collaboration working with people, working with organizations, challenging challenging myself, challenging people and organizations around me and challenging the status quo, being connected to myself, 
to the world around me and to other people, being committed to what I say that I will do, caring for myself and those around me, and critically, the last one, courageous. Being courageous, as noble as it sounds, calls me, compels me to step up, to be seen, and to use my voice. Even when it's inconvenient, even when it's difficult, even when, listener, my voice quakes, when, when you know, I'm, I'm nervous and, or I stammer and I don't really know what to say or I don't really know how to write. So I knew that I, I had to, I had to start a conversation, a courageous conversation to support you as you live your diplomatic life wherever you lead it in the world and do it in accordance to my six C's. So my my values. So with all of that in mind, I really smashed out that blog post. It just flowed. And when I hit upon the the realization, when it dawned upon me, listener, that I was going to that I needed to approach it in the way that I knew was right for me, not that was right for every person who might in the in the history of the world read my words i knew i knew that i just had to get this conversation started so let's go let's have this conversation let's let's start this conversation through that blog post which there is a link in the description for this episode attached to the, uh, the, the the episode description. But let's have this discussion now. Um, and it's not so much of a discussion. I realize that it's more of a monologue of my thoughts. But, you know, I'll give you the contact details to email me. You can engage with the topic on social media if you're feeling especially courageous. But... If that conversation happens, if those courageous conversations happen within your workplace, then great. That is absolutely fantastic. And that is what I aim for this to do. All right. Listener, does diplomacy have a problem with bullying, harassment and or discrimination? And like any good public servant, I want to define the terms, but particularly bullying. And the New Zealand government um, has, just like your employing agency, just like your government, more likely than not, has some pretty clear definitions of what bullying is and what constitutes bullying behaviour. So I'm going to read from um, the... Uh, the, this website from the New Zealand government uh, defining, particularly defining bullying. Workplace bullying, the website says, is repeated and unreasonable behaviour directed towards a worker or a group of workers. Bullying can be physical, verbal or relational or social, such as excluding someone or spreading rumours. 
Unreasonable behaviour may include victimising, humiliating, intimidating or threatening a person. A single incident of of unreasonable behaviour isn't considered workplace bullying, but it could escalate and shouldn't be ignored. Workplace bullying is not one-off or occasional instances of rudeness or misjudgment. Bullying is not limited to managers targeting staff or vice versa. It might happen between co-workers or involve customers, clients or visitors. The website continues about how bullying harms employees. And I think we can extrapolate this to harms people. It's a serious health risk which may increase the potential for workplace safety risks and can result in physical, serious physical or mental health issues, including depression. Bullying may cause anxiety, stress, fatigue and burnout, which in turn leads to loss of productivity and absences from work. How can we identify bullying behaviour? If we feel like the behaviour we are experiencing is unreasonable, we, can, we could get a sense check if what we're experiencing is unreasonable behaviour by talking to a trusted friend or colleague. And some of the signs of workplace bullying include being excluded from team meetings or activities. Someone consistently taking credit for our work. Someone spreading false rumours about us. Someone swearing or yelling at us. Or isolating us by not being accessible or limiting our access to others. Critically... I'm getting the overwhelming sense from the New Zealand government here that bullying is not one-off. It's sustained. It's a pattern of behaviour. And I guess that's where the the grey area comes in, doesn't it? Unfortunately, it comes in. What does sustained look like? Is a series of one-off events over a few months sustained or are they individual isolated events in any case as i said in my blog post it is never okay it is never okay to bully harass or intimidate someone so i want to clarify for my own purposes any kind of lingering gray areas and simply say it's never okay and also i want to say very clearly that Most of us, most of us work in an environment that is free, pleasingly free of bullying, harassment and discriminatory behaviour. And where we are free of it, we can actually, you know, we, we, we work in highly energised and dynamic places and we can... While, you know, work is work is work is work is work, you know what I mean? Whatever you do, wherever you are in the world, work is still work, glamorous as it might sound to others or not. So it might not always be wonderful, but places, workplaces where we feel challenged, supported, trusted, and know that we are making a difference and connected to those around us and our purpose are those kind of workplaces that we long and we thrive. We, we long to be a part of and we thrive in and, and can actually really define our careers, be the highlights of our careers. By the same token, the opposite of all of that, a, a workplace in which 
bullying, harassment, and discrimination are common can also define our work life. So the answer to the question, does diplomacy have a problem with bullying, harassment, and or discrimination? The diplomatic answer is not necessarily, but the short answer is, I contend, yes. Yes, there is a problem. Because when the characteristics of feeling challenged and supported and trusted and know that we're making a difference and are connected to those around us and to our purpose, where those characteristics are absent, there's a breeding ground there, a very toxic, unhealthy place in which we work and live. And so in the blog post, I unpacked what some of those factors, um, some of the contributing factors to a, a toxic and unhealthy workplace characterized by bullying, harassment, and discrimination, what that can look like. And I broke that down into a few factors. The first is political. And while diplomats are not political, we serve political masters. Our work is dictated by the politics in our own country and in our host countries. We swim in in political waters but we aren't political. What we do, though, is political. It's been decided by political masters. And the political environment in many countries is dominated by thoughts of and beliefs around scarcity. There is only so much money to go around. There's only so much time. There's only so much of any kind of precious commodity. There's only so many opportunities. There's only so many postings. There's only so many promotions. And and we can kind of have this, develop this, this scarcity mentality within ourselves and collectively within ourselves. So it becomes institutional scarcity mindset where we are constantly in competition. Another contributing factor for those postings, for those promotions, for those opportunities. And because we're operating in scarcity, we want to get ahead at all costs. There's the danger. Because we want to get ahead of those around us who, while might be our friends, are also our competition. And so we can engage in in behaviors like being selective with the information that we share. And information we all know in diplomacy is power. Those who have access to information have power. And we can use this. We can use this power for good or not. <laughs> um, where we use, we, we want someone to do something for us, but we, we only want to give them a certain bit of information, but not the whole story, because then we still can feel that we have, um, uh, you know, we're, we're in the know, listener, that we're trusted. We, we can actually, you know, offer some great solutions because we know more about what's going on than somebody else does. And so these little games, particularly around controlling information, Uh, become really important in an environment where scarcity dominates. Also, 
the nature of a diplomatic workplace is hierarchical. And at the top of that, we have what um, what's called the, the head of mission, and that's the umbrella term for a for an ambassador, a consul general, or a high commissioner, depending on your system of, of government and where you are in the world, but they're the boss, um, the most senior person in the agency, in, 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 in the diplomatic mission, I should say. And for many, many countries, they are politically appointed. And so that further goes to the political nature of the workplace, the, the, the environment that we're that we work in. Not only do we serve the political um, needs of, of the government of the day, which is the job of a public servant, the boss, the person who's responsible for it all, can actually be political as well. And the HOM, the, the head of mission, H-O-M, HOM, um, has so much responsibility. They're the public face of the diplomatic mission in that country. They're responsible for the work that's done. They're responsible for um, the the safety, security, and well-being of all who work in that diplomatic mission and their families. Those responsibilities are huge, but the work is, is disseminated uh, amongst a whole lot of people, generally, depending on the size of the mission, is disseminated amongst a whole lot of people. But ultimate responsibility rests with the head of mission. And that's an enormous amount of stress. Before work is actually added, that's, that's a whole lot of stress that's, that's put on their shoulders. And what happens when that... The, moving to the next contributing factor of relentless pressure. What happens when the pressure, which is relentless, becomes too much? Both external pressure to deliver, um, deliver results very quickly, whether or not that comes from um, political pressure or the, the, the pressure to respond to events within quickly and, and, and accurately that external pressure, but also the intrinsic, the internal pressure that we can put on ourselves, be us, be we, uh, ahead of mission or not. We want to do a good job. We want to do the best job that we can. So we put enormous amounts of pressure on ourselves to deliver day in, day out, every single time, we can put ourselves, uh, create expectations for ourselves that are actually superhuman and then can be crushed when we don't meet them because of the competitive environment that we work. If we don't meet them, then someone else might be meeting them and then that other person might be successful at winning that promotion or getting that good posting or getting that opportunity. In diplomacy, I argue that a great number of us have that put ourselves under relentless pressure internally because of the competitive nature of our workplace. And the next contributing factor is also a central theme of my work, and that's on resilience, on psychological resilience. And so if we can't cope, if we 
or aren't coping, don't feel like we're, we're being psychologically resilient. We can be scared. We can be scared to admit that things aren't okay. And so when it comes to bullying, harassment, and discriminatory behavior, when we witness it or when we're victims of it, we can be scared. We can be scared to actually say that this is happening or if it is happening, that it's actually affecting us. So the pressure to be resilient means that we can endure almost the unendurable and make it look easy, make it look like we are completely unaffected. And so we can take on enormous amounts of work. We can take on enormous amounts of abuse dished towards us, disrespect being excluded from meetings, whatever, whatever the, 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 the poor behavior that we're being, we're witnessing or being subjected to, we can fear that because resilience is a key, psychological resilience is a key character trait for diplomats, that we, if we show that we're not resilient by speaking up, that we don't get those promotions, we don't get the postings, we don't get those opportunities. Whether or not that's true is almost by the by. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. It's the perception that it might happen that can keep us very quiet and actually follow a sense of, I guess, faux psychological resilience, which is not which, sorry, the, the, the faux psychological resilience is all about enduring the unendurable until you break. Whereas psychological resilience actually means that you flex and return to form. And sometimes the return to form, the return to form always happens. The return to form listener always happens after a stressful situation. I guess it's just a matter of when that return to form happens and how dramatic it does happen. The last contributing factor is about isolation. And I started the blog post with this uh, Chinese expression, the mountains are high and the emperor is far away. And I remember reading this a few months ago and that got me thinking about this topic. Every diplomatic mission is its own microcosm. When the emperor is far away in our capital cities and we are removed from them by high mountains and and long distance, our offices, our diplomatic missions, our workplaces become mini microcosms. They can, those mini microcosms can be wonderfully nourishing places to work they can also be incredibly toxic environments and each has a different feel and those environments can be made different by the different personalities of the people who work there the different work that happens there in 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 different cities can also be influenced by the office layout and so if we're separated by walls or, um, or, or, or distance. Silo mentality can, can happen, that kind of closed environment that 
creation of negative space, that creation of negative head spaces and negative attitudes towards the work, towards each other, towards the world can easily take hold. And so isolation is, I feel, a critical component of uh, a, a, a critical contributing factor in how a workplace can become ruled by bullying, harassment, and discrimination, how a diplomatic workplace can be done. Because these kind of behaviors don't happen where there's witnesses. It doesn't happen out in the open. These, these appalling behaviors happen away from closed, away from scrutiny, and where victims are removed, feel removed from help and support. They can be reluctant to ask for it, particularly if they need to be need to continually demonstrate psychological resilience and work in such a hyper-competitive environment such as diplomacy. And the perpetrator can just act more freely, more freely, unfortunately. Now, this plates that very, a very gloomy picture of diplomacy, doesn't it? And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because in many instances, in, in the majority of cases, it's such a wonderfully fulfilling career not without its downsides, and you know, listener, that here uh, at the Lonely Diplomat podcast and the Lonely Diplomat in general, we accept that there are downsides to diplomacy and we talk about them. We expose them to light and air and make it okay to, to have these conversations. Such a conversation needs to happen with bullying, harassment and discrimination because Many, many of us have witnessed it. We've been subjected to it. And indeed, we may have, we may have been the perpetrators of it. In researching the blog post, in researching this podcast, I asked my audience for their stories and to share their stories with me. And I'm very grateful and indeed overwhelmed with the amount of support I got from many of you, my wonderful global audience, in sharing your stories with me, in trusting your stories to me. The stories, listener, well, they were harrowing. They were harrowing. And I wanted to make sure that I, I did an appropriate service. And the harrowing stories just spoke of insidious and sinister behavior of casual racism, sexism, generationalism. So generationalism, if you're not familiar with the term, is discrimination against a generation. Talk of, you know, um, bloody boomers or talk of, uh, you know, damn millennials um, or Gen Z now um, are, and, and what would they know? Because they haven't, you know, they they don't they have no appreciation for for you know for how things are done around here and the converse argument is like well they've got they've got no appreciation about how the world has changed and we need to evolve with it that kind of generationalism seems common 
There was also homophobia. There was also elitism in terms of experience, in terms of educational qualifications, elitism in terms of, well, you didn't go to that university, so I'm going to give my preference to someone who went to that institution over this other educational institution. And there were descriptions of insidious and sinister behavior relating to exclusion and character assassination through malicious gossip. And this all happened at work. This happened at home. It happened alone. It happened in front of colleagues. And in some cases, it happened in front of the victim's families. At home, outside of work time generally in a in in a diplomatic compound and it just was horrendous absolutely horrendous these stories that that were shared with me and often often these instances of of appalling behavior these harrowing stories these harrowing instances were reported but often weren't And if they weren't reported, there was some concern about how reporting the behaviour of someone else, the appalling behaviour of someone else, would affect the victim. How would it affect their promotion opportunities, their posting opportunities, their opportunities to do work in a more high-profile work? And also, there was concern about, well, you know, I've got say, two and a half years left of a three-year posting and I've got to work with them for another two years. Like, what, what, you know, if I report them, how am I going to, you know, cope with, you know, the, the possible repercussions for another two years of my, of my posting? Sometimes it is easier. It feels easier, listener, to not report this appalling behaviour um, and just find a way of, of coping with it. But that comes at a cost to you. I'll get onto that in a little while. Also, listeners said that because reputation, reputation in diplomacy, in such a competitive environment, which is Uh, which contains lots of workplaces that are remote, that are isolated from each other. Your reputation is so important. Having a reputation of being able to get work done, to be able to deliver work on time with a smile on your face, making it look easy. Having that kind of reputation is so important. And what kind of reputation or how does a reputation get tarnished if you're reporting bad behavior, if you're showing that you can't deliver? How in an organization where your reputation is almost, if not more important than your ability to do the work, let that sink in, listener. You know what I'm talking about. Where your reputation is more important than your ability to do the work, in some instances, reporting, bullying, harassing, or discriminatory behavior risks the reputation not only 
of the perpetrator, the alleged perpetrator, but also of the victim. And so it becomes a me against them. There's also resignation in these stories of, I can report it, but really, what will change? Nothing will change. Or it'll actually reflect poorly on me. So I don't want that to happen again, reputational damage. But that nothing will change, particularly, particularly if the perpetrator is well-connected, has a great reputation. But if they're well-connected, sometimes that's politically well-connected. And it's actually very sensitive to take action against a perpetrator of bullying, harassment and discrimination when they are a public figure in our home countries. Some of the responses that I received talk about reporting, having the courage to report the terrible behaviour, but getting the sense that there was a reluctance, that there was a reluctance to investigate on behalf of headquarters to to investigate the allegations, the accusations, um, and because uh, because of these political connections, these the reputation or or the inability to reach conclusive findings. Sometimes, when the investigations did happen, someone from headquarters would be sent to the mission, and there would be smiles and apologies um, during meetings. There'd be backslaps. There'd be, you know, um, I say there were assurances of highest consideration and, and, you know, profound apologies. But then once the visit was over, the smiles would turn to scowls, the behavior would ramp up and there'd be almost punishment, punishment for the courage it took to report. And some of the stories spoke of the perpetrators after an investigation were actually removed from their position. The question is, though, in diplomacy, where the perpetrator, and potentially if they're a senior person in a diplomatic mission, are they actually reported on why they've been recalled home? Are there euphemisms used that can prevent a scandal? Are there euphemisms used but uh, to, to publicly say why someone was recalled? However, within our agencies, while we might be isolated from each other, gossip travels fast and word really does travel fast, which does go to the reputation problems of maintaining your good reputation, knowing that news travels fast, but of good news and bad news, bad news travels faster than good. Listener, if you work in a diplomatic mission, you've likely experienced bullying, harassing and or discriminatory behaviour at some point in your career. And by experienced, I mean by you being a victim, by you being a witness or you actually being a perpetrator. I want to ask you 
couple of questions, if I may. Listener, what did you do? What did you do when you witnessed it? What did you do when you felt that you were the victim of it? What did you do when you realized that you may have actually perpetrated and some instances of bullying, harassment, some discrimination? Did you do what you could? Did you support the victim? Did you apologize? If you were the victim, did you talk to the perpetrator? If you were the victim, the, the witness, did you talk to the perpetrator? Did you call it out when it was happening? If so, listener, I applaud your courage. What you did calling that behavior out was phenomenally courageous and I want to honor that because sometimes calling out appalling behavior when that person is your boss and on whose good graces and good opinion you rely for your referees report a recommendation at the end of your posting for when you go for another posting or go for a promotion or go get another opportunity calling them out requires huge amounts of courage what did you put up with it and i understand this but as i said i understand why you put up with it i really do listener but as i said earlier putting up with it enduring it comes at a cost and the, com- the, the cost is borne by you within yourself, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And it's also borne by your institution, by your employing agency. And while our HR areas of all our employing agencies have very clear policies of, uh, a- against bullying, harassment, and discrimination, and have indeed zero tolerance for those instances and uh, have a commitment to investigate those allegations of bullying, harassment and discrimination. They can't do their job unless it's actually reported. However, if there is a perception that even after reporting it that some alleged perpetrators are too important, too well connected to be reprimanded, then victims, witnesses may feel that reluctance to to report instances because of that perception of being someone being too important, being too well connected. And listener, as you know, and I say this frequently in my blogs, where there is any gap between policy where there is an end what actually happens the perception always wins so what's needed listener what's needed besides this recounting of harrowing and 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 then awful tales of bullying harassment and discrimination what's needed and I did think long and hard of this, but I came back to, word, to to my value of courage and me being courageous and just starting this conversation. I call on you, listener. I call on you to be courageous. 
because in the words of my intellectual crush, Dr. Brené Brown, courage is contagious. And courage is needed to call it, call it out at the time, if you witness it. If you are the victim, if you're the one at whom the bullying, the discrimination, the harassment is directed at, I completely understand that doing it in the moment can be very difficult. But once you've gotten the support, once you've had a time to, to, to process and record the instance, then an immense amount of courage is needed to do something about it at that point. Finally, I'll add that courage is needed to have the conversation, even when we're busy, even when the urgent can crowd out the important. But I'm sure you agree, listener, I'm sure you agree, having witnessed bullying, discrimination and harassing behaviour in the workplaces, in, in various workplaces, being the victim or indeed being the perpetrator, there is no ideal time in our world, that being the world of the work in a diplomatic mission, which something urgent is not happening but the conversation, these kind of important conversations, we need courage to have them in a very kind and honest way. That's all I wanted to say on this episode. So if you have any feedback for me on this or any other episode, please send me an email, admin at thelonelydiplomat.com. If you like the episode, please share it with friends, colleagues, family members. I'd really appreciate a high rating on this episode, on my podcast, through the service on which you're now listening. If I can improve anything, please tell me. I serve the global diplomatic community and my work is all designed to help diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to reconnect with themselves and the world around them. As part of this service, my blogs and podcasts are provided to you at no charge. If you got some value from this episode, please show me some love and consider providing some financial support via a one-off or monthly contribution through PayPal. For details, go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support. It does sound like you're getting ready to go. So until next time, be awesomely and humanly and courageously you, because the world needs more you. All sounds used are freeware in the public domain. All views expressed in this episode are my own and do not reflect any official position. I am not a licensed mental health professional. I encourage you to seek the services of a licensed mental health professional if the content of this episode challenged you beyond your current capacity to mentally, emotionally and or physically respond yourself. Thanks for listening.